God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What, I, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Hey, really light reading for us today. Um, in fact, I'm just so happy with that reading. I think we can move right to the table and get to lunch early. If... Just kidding. We will not do that. Hey, um, we've got a lot going on in this passage today. We're going to spend a couple of weeks unpacking this scripture and everything that it, it has for us. So, Thank you for being here with us today. My name is Zach. I get to serve as the Director of Operations for our Shawnee campus. 
I mean, it's a joy to crack this thing open with you, to talk about it today. Um, today we're going to be primarily focusing on the gift of tongues, and next week, uh, Pastor Chad Kinser is going to be with us to look at prophecy. And hey, look, I get it. Right off the bat, you may be thinking about just checking out and dismissing this thing. It's been placed before us. And if you've been here for a while, you know that we are a church who doesn't pick and choose uh, scriptures or skip over stuff. We pick a book of the Bible and we preach through it because it's God's word to us. And so I'd invite you to just hang with me for a second today. And, you know, I believe what 2 Timothy 3 says whenever it tells us that all Scripture is breathed out for God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So as I've been praying today, man, I've been earnestly praying that with open Bibles and with open hearts that we could just take what is laid before us and, and somehow, through the power of the Spirit, check our skepticism, check what culture has told us about this gift, and instead we could embrace curiosity and that we could wonder at the good gifts that the Father has given us. All right, can we agree to do that today? After all, these words were written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he tells us in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. These words aren't coming from a TV evangelist in a tacky suit or some type of new age guru. They are coming from a man who had a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, who Acts describes as the chosen instrument to carry the gospel before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. And reading Paul's words here, the scripture that we just read, you get a sense that he was profoundly grateful to God for this gift. His life was regularly given to praying and singing, to praying in tongues, and he wasn't the least bit embarrassed about this gift or practicing this gift. So don't freak out. Let's be humble before God, humble for his word together, we're not going to be segregating people into tongue speakers and non-tongue speakers. We're not going to be giving gold stars. We wholeheartedly reject the idea that this gift is only for the most mature Christians. It's not for superstar Christians. Some of our pastors have this gift. Some of our pastors don't have this gift. In just the past few weeks, we've had someone in Shawnee pray for and receive this gift. I was personally given this gift as a young teenager, and it has been a huge help to me in my faith and in my personal walk. And that's not to say that it's, it's not controversial, because it is. And I would argue that it's probably one of the most controversial topics and divisive topics in the church in the past 100 years. And the thing is, nobody is in the middle on this thing. There are two ditches, and that's where most people reside. And I also need to say that there are abuses that abound on both sides. I've seen teenagers held at altars for hours whenever it was clear that they did not want to be there. But I've also seen people who were kept from really great ministry opportunities and posts because they profess that they have been given this God-empowered, spirit-empowered gift. 
It's also important to say that Paul in this part of 1 Corinthians is addressing a church that is using this gift that is producing chaos. And that's part of the abuse that we see still in the church today. They were using the gifts, and primarily tongues, to try to prove their spiritual superiority over other people in the church. And all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, we hear the theme of brothers and sisters neglecting their neighbors for their self and not loving their neighbor the way that they should. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into chapter 14 in a couple of weeks where we talk about what orderly church service looks like, and Paul clearly lays that out. And I want to say that that's coming, but it's not something we're going to address a lot today. But it is there, and what Paul is doing, he's attempting to provide direction on how and when to practice tongues and prophecy for the edification of the church and not just the individual. It's going to be really important when we talk about this today. And man, just like in this early first century church, we have a lot of questions to answer about what is being said today. So I've got three big ones that everything is going to kind of revolve around today, and that is what is tongues and what is it not, basically? What is tongues, what is it not? What was the problem in the Corinthian church? And then how do we go from here? How do we respond to this scripture today? So that's it. That's where we're going. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me as I pray for you? God, we thank you uh, for your word. I, I ask again that you would take away skepticism from us. God, that you would uh, somehow drown out the noise of culture and instead would you just perk up our curiosity? God, would you give us a sense of wonder about the mystery that is the gifts that you have given us? So please, be with us today. Be in this word and in this message that we ask that it would come alive to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start off right off the bat. What is tongues? Well, in verse 2, Paul tells us this. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. If you're still a little bit lost, I really like this quote from uh, Dr. Sam Storms. He summarizes it in his book, A Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, which I, I would tell you it's, it's, a, it's a book that covers a lot of spiritual gifts, and it is a goldmine for personal discipleship. So if you have questions today, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. But also, man, pick up a copy of this book. And he says in this book that the gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or the one that you learned in school. So it's spirit-empowered language. And I want to remind you that this gift is not man's idea. Even if you've witnessed someone use this in a way that may have rubbed you the wrong way or it was unhealthy or it was unbiblical, this is a good gift from our Father. And Paul tells us in chapter 12, verse 31, that we are to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Read Luke 11, 11 with me. It'll be on the screen for you. For which of your fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, 
Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a good gift. All the gifts from the Father are good gifts. And uh, it's a shame that the overwhelming kind of attitude in our culture is that we leave good gifts unwrapped because they're mysterious and maybe we're a little scared of them. He gave this to the church right along with the gifts of teaching and mercy and evangelism. Another way, simply put, is that tongues is just spirit-enabled exaltation of God in a language that you don't know. Tongues are directed towards God. Your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful, Paul told us. So tongues is language, language is tongues. We're going to use those terms interchangeably today, so don't get lost with me there. Tongues is a God-given language that you don't understand, but if interpreted in a corporate worship setting, it effectively becomes prophecy, which Paul is encouraging us to do more of. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me again. If for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Man, this is something that's really hard to explain if you've not experienced this gift for yourself. What does he mean? It's my mind is unfruitful. Well, when you are praising, praying, worshiping with your own language and ability, it takes up cognitive space in your brain. You have to think about what you're going to say, what you're going to do. The gift of tongues operates a little bit differently than that. It takes up almost no brain power. You simply decide to do it and you give utterance. And so what Paul is saying is, as I am praying in the Spirit, I am also rejoicing with my mind. I'm also praying and praising with my mind. And so it's kind of like this duality of prayer where the Spirit through you is praying and interceding, and then Paul is directing them at the same time. Since your mind is unfruitful, you should also be praying, praising, and worshiping while you are practicing the gift of prayer language or tongues. So there's another Sam Storms quote here for you. And Paul believed that it wasn't absolutely necessary for an experience to be rationally cognitive, for it to be spiritually beneficial and glorifying to God. It doesn't have to be rational, rationally cognitive, excuse me, for it to be spiritually beneficial and glorifying to God. Look, I'm not downplaying the importance of our minds in how we worship. I'm not downplaying intelligent thought whenever it comes to how we engage with the divine. Paul, after all, tells us in Romans 12 that we should renew our minds. But tongues is a way that we can glorify God as well that doesn't take up that cognitive space in the prefrontal context of your brain. And think about this. We minister to people around us all the time in ways that are not intellectual, right? Being present in times of grief, just going and sitting with somebody and not saying a thing, a look of concern and care, man, even a simple hug are ways that we edify each other but are not necessarily intellectual acts. And look, this is mysterious. 
I can't explain it to you. I have no idea how it works other than it works. And I'm also not sure how people are healed. I'm not sure how words of knowledge are given. I'm not sure how uh, prophecy works. It is a mystery. And look, we may never know, but they are still good gifts. Another thing about mystery is it makes us surrender. And man, we, we hate surrender, right? We hate surrender. But that's exactly what this is. And we know and trust that it is a good gift from our Father. There's a, a Gordon Fee quote here that goes right along with this. And man, I love this. Although one may wonder how mysteries that are not understood even by the speaker can edify, the answer lies in verses 14 and 15. Contrary to the opinion of many, spiritual edification can take place in ways other than through the cortex of the brain. Paul believed in an immediate communing with God by means of the Spirit that sometimes bypassed the mind, and he argues that for his own edification, he will have both. But in church, we will have only what we can also communicate to other believers through their minds. And you may be asking, wait, isn't, isn't self-edification a bad thing? No, not at all. We're called to do that. We're called to be disciples. And every spiritual gift that we're giving serves in some way to edify the person practicing that spiritual gift. It's not a bad or selfish thing unless the self-edification is a means to an end or becomes an end in itself. If a spiritual gift increases your maturity, if it expands your understanding, if it gives you more zeal for the things of God, if it brings you closer in relationship, it also serves to build up the church as you're building up yourself. Also, Jude 20 tells us this, but you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. It's clear from what Paul uh, told us today in his comments that prayer language was a huge part of his personal devotion. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He told us that in, chapter, in verse 18, but later in chapter 14, he actually gives us instructions not to forbid speaking in tongues or prayer language. And so in the context today, he's telling them there's a time and a place for this, and it's really not in the corporate worship service unless there's an interpretation. So again, what is this? What is tongues? It's, it's simply a spirit-empowered way to allow us to pray and worship and give thanks in a way that's very mysterious, but it is also God-glorifying and it is self-edifying. It's also a way to combat temptation, to help you through weakness. There was a time in my life where I was probably further away from God than I had ever been, and I felt the Spirit pull on me deeply. And uh, it was a time where I literally just paced my apartment for three days and constantly prayed in the Spirit for direction. Prayed in the Spirit and then also prayed with my mind. 
And that led to some radical things happening in my life, allowed me to recenter and pull the cross back into the front of my vision and basically hit the reset button on my life and moved to Oklahoma City. And I met my wife about four months later after that. It was a huge help to me in times. Romans 8.26, while not only about praying in tongues, applies to tongues in the bare minimum. When we see this, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as for we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those moments when you're facing something so complex or so challenging that you either run out of words or you don't have any, the gift of tongues is, is so amazing. It's such a gift in those moments. All right, we talked a little about what it is. What is it not? And what was the problem in the church? And it's really important that we keep in mind kind of what this thing, it, what, what's good about it, but also what's, what was the problem with it in the Corinthian church? And this is not, again, God's greatest gift to only the most holy Christians, Okay. It's not a deception of the enemy. It's not even the most important spiritual gift. And there are people who will tell you that if you don't have this gift, you're lacking in some way. Man, that's just not the case. He gives gifts as he sees fit. And there will be people who have the gift of tongues and there will be people who don't have the gift of tongues. Just like there are people who have the gift of prophecy and people who do not have the gift of prophecy. It doesn't mark you in any ways. They're just like, it's just like any other gift of the Spirit. And it's not even a sign that somebody is, has more Spirit than the other person. I would argue that receiving the gift of tongues is actually not a sign of anything. It's just another one of the spiritual gifts that Paul lays out in, uh, in Corinthians 12 as manifestations of the Spirit. Let's read that together. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, These are all empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as He wills. One Spirit, many gifts. And man, I know there are so, so many cultural examples of what this gift is not, right? This is not an Appalachian hillbilly drinking moonshine and handling snakes, I thought about handing out plastic snakes today just as a joke, but I think maybe that was a little bit too far. That's not what this is. That's a culture characterization of what the gift looks like. Like, It's not a TV evangelist in a private jet. It's not going into an uncontrollable trance and shaking and, you know, acting a fool. That's not what this gift is. Prayer language, if you don't have the gift or not have not experienced it, is fully controllable by the person who has been given the gift. There's not something that comes over you and you lose control of your body. You can turn it on and off like a water faucet at will. Now, you may not know what's going to come out of your mouth. 
You may not know the language that you're producing. You certainly don't understand the language that you're producing unless you're given an interpretation, but you can control it. You can practice it. You can exercise it. My grandfather used to describe the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues as a gentleman. It's not something that, you know, you, you lose control over. It's something that you very much can turn on and off. And the problem in the Corinthian church arose from everybody trying to use this gift all at the same time. They were using it incorrectly. Many were speaking out loud in tongues simultaneously in their super, ultra, holy prayer voice. You guys have all heard somebody do that before, right? Can you imagine the confusion that would come out of that? If everybody just started speaking in tongues all at one time and none of the speech could be understood and everybody was just raising their voice all at the same time inside of a, a church service, and Paul specifically talks about outsiders and unbelievers, right? I think there's a time where we can lift up prayers in a prayer language when we're gathered with believers. But everybody, all at once, unintelligible speech. Would you invite your friend to that church? Would you invite your unbeliever neighbor to that church? No, probably not. And Paul even says it. These people are crazy, right? In fact, man, if, if I were an enemy of the Spirit and I wanted to suppress the spiritual gifts, the exact thing that I would do would be to instill fear and confusion in people to keep them from using and practicing this gift of God, right? And so I'm not saying that people who are using gifts in inappropriate ways are agents of the devil, don't get me by saying, but there's also something that happens whenever we gather together in corporate worship and order needs to be established so the entire body can be edified and not just a singular person. So Paul is helping them understand that uninterpreted tongues in the context of the church gathered, it doesn't build up each other and it certainly is not pursuing love. And so let's look at verses 1 through 5 again where he starts with pursue love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. We've already hit on tongues being self-edifying, but Paul's trying to keep order in a worship service that is absolute chaos when people are gathered in one place. And when the church gathers, she should have harmony like an orchestra, unity for the battle, and intelligibility in our language. Again, he goes on in verses 6 through 12. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, 
How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Hey, this may sound like Paul is trying to squash the gift of prayer language, of tongues, and he's not. He's directing them to use this gift in a way that edifies the whole church. Hey, when you're with other people, quit focusing on yourself and instead focus on building up the church around you. And that all starts with love. And what Paul is doing, what he says later in this chapter, is he's calling them into maturity. Be infants in your evil. Right? I hope you were here for last week's sermon that Ben gave us on uh, chapter 13. And it's the scripture that we all associate with weddings. It's the wedding verses. And in that, Paul tells us, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith as so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You could be a Superman superhero of the Christian faith and not have love and it'd be for nothing. So, man, where do we go from here? How do we respond to this? What is this telling us? How does it apply to us today? And I want to I take you through a little trip here, and it's, that's good, weird, and bad, weird, okay? Good, weird, and bad, weird. And I think we can all agree that not just this gift, but all of the spiritual gifts are a little weird. It's a little weird, but they're, they're good. It's a good, good, weird. And in our faith, we profess some weird things, but they're all good, weird things. The virgin birth, the incarnation, the resurrection, the teachings of Jesus, historic Christian sex ethic, gender roles, and by today, in our culture, even the table that we're going to take later is super weird. Can you imagine your friend who had no context for Christianity at all, and you invite him to church and said, oh yeah, at the end, we're going to symbolically eat the flesh and drink the butt of a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Right? That's weird. But it's good weird. It's a good, good weird Paul mentions bad weird in verse 23 whenever tongues is out of control and there's no interpreter and people are using it for, you know, self-gain inside of a corporate worship service. He tells us this, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Bad weird, right? Bad weird. Let's be a church that embraces good weird, that embraces the good weird, but rejects the bad weird. A church that embraces the good weird is full of love and maturity, love towards each other. But it's good. It's weird, but it's good. You know, and one of the things about the culture that we live in today, it's, it's now more safe for us to worship than it has ever been. 
We don't have to hide. We don't have to go underground. We don't have to worry for our lives. We don't have to worry for our families. We don't have to smuggle in Bibles. We can openly proclaim the gospel. But we still live in a culture that is obsessed with safetyism, that rejects things that we don't understand, that is not comfortable leaning into the mystery that is God. Safe spaces, safe conversations, safe lectures, safety this, safety that. Man, we are obsessed with it. And friends, when the church becomes a place where we embrace the good weird of who God is and the gifts that He's given us, and we reject the bad weird, we become a place that's not necessarily safe, but man, it is so good. It is so good. And here's the thing. Whenever you decide to follow Jesus, there's nothing safe about it. Like, Jesus will blow up your life. The gospel is a dangerous message that requires a whole life commitment. Every part of everything that we do is in submission to our Lord. And in doing so, we become more like our Father in heaven who isn't safe, but he is so good. He is such a good Father. And Pastor Josh taught on this passage last week downtown, and he brought a C.S. Lewis quote from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe because it, it really points to the fact that, that God won't be controlled, tamed, or domesticated. So I want to read this to you. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I want to embrace how strange and how wonderful our faith is. I want to embrace how mysterious Christianity and the gifts are. And we should embrace the mystery of a resurrected Christ and the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to us. And so you may be asking yourself, like, how does this work? How do I receive this gift? How do I pray for this gift? If you desire this gift, if even today you feel something is like, hey, that's something that I want for me and for my prayer life, um, it's probably because the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart to seek it. Or if you feel that, it's probably because the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart and because he wants to give you the gift. And it's not something you have to be afraid of. You, you certainly are not going to completely understand it. And there's a, We've talked about a, a big part of mystery attached to that. But you don't have to be afraid from it. Remember the passage from earlier today? What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? You're not going to get a stone in place of bread. Ask boldly in prayer that he would give you this gift and then believe that you've received it. Believe that he will give you a good gift. Growing up, uh, my, both of my grandfathers were very, very Pentecostal in their leanings. And I've seen some things that people do in order to try to activate this gift. And let me tell you, you don't, you don't have to prime the pump. If you're seeking this gift, um, it's not something that you can force to happen. You don't have to repeat gibberish. You don't have to say banana backwards five times. You don't have to repeat she came in a Honda as fast as you can. 
also like, hey, imitate the speech that you've heard and start with the Shondai's. No, you don't, you don't have to do that, okay? You don't have to prime the pump here. What I would encourage you to do is, is pray, to keep praying. Let us pray with you. Devote yourself through extended times of prayer and worship and fasting. And if in those moments of extended prayer and worship and fasting, you have words that well deep up inside of you or you don't recognize, just pray them out. And it may start very simply. It may start with one syllable that you repeat over and over and over again. We also have to remember that these good gifts come perfectly from God, but we are far from perfect. We are far from perfect. And more than that, we have to practice. We have to practice these gifts. If I asked some person at random in this room to come up here and pick up Jordan's guitar, Blake's guitar, and start singing in this microphone, it would probably be a disaster, right? But they would come up here and do it for the glory of God, and they would struggle through it, and we would struggle through it right there with them, right? Gifts take practice. I implore you, church, be a people that doesn't err on the side of caution with the gifts, but instead put them to work, put them to practice. Another Sam Storms quote says it this way, simply wait on the Lord and speak forth the words he brings to mind. No matter how incoherent or silly they may sound, they are sweet music to your father's ears. And look, whenever I receive the gift, and I'm not saying this is going to be your experience or it's a typical experience. Whenever I received the gift, I was praying with several other people. My granny Mac was there praying with me. I was praying to receive the gift, and I felt the most warming sensation in my belly that I had ever felt in my life that spread over my whole body. And I began to produce language, which was just one single syllable that I did not know or did not recognize that quickly grew over time. And I became drunk in the spirit, even though I have never, ever, at that point, had ever had a drink of alcohol in my life. And the funny thing is, is that night, if you're 40-ish or you had kids around that age, that evening we had a power team come and do the worship service for us. You know, the, the Christian uh, juiced-up guys that do all, break the blocks, and you know, they talk about Jesus, and they tear a phone book, and then they do whatever. And in my 13-year-old brain, all I thought was, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so I went up there and started trying to bend rebar, drunk in the Spirit, with a new prayer language. And that was a really, really sweet moment. And I'm not saying that's typical for you. It will be typical for what, it, what you know, the gift of the Spirit will look like for you, but that's just my personal experience, okay? So lean into it. Practice the gifts. It may start simply. Keep praying. Let us pray with you. Our pastors would love to continue this conversation and pray with you, answer any questions that you have, all right? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your good gifts. Um, even though we may not understand it, God, I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit on us. God, we desire more of all the gifts in this church. God, let us not be a people who are scared or run away from mystery, but instead we run into your open arms and the good gifts that you have given us. In your name we pray, amen.